Thank you, Jason and Meshach. Good morning. Hope you all had a good Christmas. How many of you have ever been disciplined as a child? Most likely it was because of something you said or did. How many of you have been pulled over by the police? Maybe you were speeding, maybe you ran a red light and got a ticket for it. When we go against our parents' rules or against the law, we're acting in disobedience. And the, how you correct somebody who has disobeyed is with discipline. So it's the cost that has to be paid, discipline. Throughout the Bible, we see discipline come into play as God punishes on numerous occasions the Israelites for their disobedience so that they would repent and obey. However, there's something that we as parents or may, not, or may forget as children are disciplined, and that's grace. See, God shows mercy and grace to those who disobey, meaning that he does not give you the just punishment that you deserve, which is death. So today we're going to be looking at one of the most liberating, most gracious and unbelievable promises uh, that God gives us when we trust in him, for those who trust in Jesus, his son. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. That's page 944 in your pew Bible. And then I'll pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you today, Lord, in supplication and prayer, Lord, through the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, that that opened the way for us to have relationship with you. Uh, thank you that we can be here safely, Lord, and we pray for those who aren't, that you would just be with them and keep them safe. Uh, we thank you for your mercies, Lord, and we pray that your word would be preached true today, Lord, and that our hearts would be receptive to it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1, uh, 1 to 11 in Romans 8. We're just going to read through the whole passage here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Now, before we address what Paul has said there, we're just going to go flip a couple pages back or a page back to chapter 7, and we're going to get an understanding of what Paul says about the, the two different laws that are at play here. Uh, over the past few chapters, he's been talking through new life and freedom found in Christ, and here he explains the role of the law and how it plays into it. So it's going to be chapter 7, verse 7 to 25. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, Sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if what I do not want is no longer I who do it, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So let me break this down real quick for you. Before Paul knew the law, there was no awareness of what was wrong. So as someone who is ignorant of the law, Paul could not be condemned for it. But as soon as he is made aware of the law, there's an instant conviction of what is wrong. Meaning that Paul now knows what is wrong and what, needs, what he needs to do 
in order to be obedient to the law. No law equals no knowledge of sin. Law equals knowledge of sin. The law is good, righteous, and holy, but sin uses what is good to deceive us into wrongdoing. Remember Eden, when the sermon takes that first command that God gave Adam and Eve, the command, you shall eat of any tree of this garden except this one. And Satan comes and he deceives them. He tells them that the reason God commanded them not to eat from that tree is because he didn't want them to be like him. So the serpent convinced them that God was holding out on them. And it's a clear example right from the beginning of how sin is used to deceive us uh, through the law. So now Paul knows what is right. Uh, however, his fleshly nature, the nature of sin, moves his flesh to do the opposite of what is good. And our flesh, it's enslaved to sin. And sin, that sin causes us to rebel against God. Do you know that's the very definition of sin? Rebellion against God? Paul then continues to explain that the, that does not make the law sinful, but rather sin uses the law to produce that death in him. Because sin go governs our flesh, it is able to do this. The reason sin governs our flesh is that we are born into it. It's part of our very nature. And this is why Paul says what he does in verses 15 to 20 in chapter 7. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do not do what I, if I do not do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. You see, sin has a firm hold over our flesh. So now we have this law of the flesh, which is sin that comes out of that law. And there's the law of God, the law of the spirit. So there's two laws at play here. These two laws are locked at a constant battle within us. Flesh versus mind and spirit. It would be like in Star Wars, you have the force. And there's the light side of the force that the Jedis are a part of. And then there's the dark side. And they're locked in this constant battle, the Jedis versus Sith Lords. And it's this very battle that's raging within us, flesh versus the mind. That causes Paul to cry out, Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thankfully, he doesn't stop there in hopelessness. And he gives us the answer right away in the next chapter or verse. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then so we come to chapter 8. And Paul has just explained how we have this law of sin and death and the law of the Spirit, and it's clash together. Now let's read the first four verses of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We, you and me, who are born into sin, meaning that you and I, everyone, was cursed with sin from the moment of your conception. That spark in your daddy's eye would grow into a little sinful baby. Now, how can a baby be sinful? Surely an innocent child isn't sinful, you might say. You obviously haven't seen my kids, Ben. They're angels. Or maybe you say to me, absolutely, my kids are sinful. Parents, no. The answer is simple, though. Because of the curse of Adam, every descendant from Adam until now has been born with this spiritual defect called sin. We are born broken, in bondage to the law of sin, and we are born as enemies to God. At no point in your life have you been free from sin. Isn't that hopeless? You have lived a life filled with sin. You have been constantly fighting against God. Every lie you've told, every insult you've thrown, every bad thought that you've had, every homeless person on the street that you've ignored, every earthly law you've broken, no matter how small, and the list goes on and on and on. Each and every single one of our sins, no matter how little we think it is, is a massive offense to God. We are born his enemies. And if sin is something that we are born with, if it's, if it's part of us, how can we even hope to be reconciled with God? Think about that. There is not a single thing that you or I can do to change that fact. We are born into slavery. It's the only life that we know, a life of sin. You can't change what blood type you have you are, or the parents that you are born to, and the family you're born into, we're all born slaves to sin and condemned. And as sinners, the only thing we deserve is death. See, death is the just and righteous punishment for sin. It's hopeless. We're powerless. Once you understand that, once you have a grasp of just how dire your situation is with God, then and only then is when you can even begin to truly grasp your desperate, desperate need for Jesus and the significance of that cross. There is only one hope, and it is Jesus Christ. See, God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for sin that we, who are born sinful, might be reconciled to him. We are powerless, but God isn't. 
In Christ we stand, not condemned, but justified. We stand justified. When you accept Jesus into your heart, you're freed from the chains of your sin by the Spirit. Okay? The Spirit then proceeds to and is working on your heart, sanctifying you and helping to shape you into the child of God that you were meant to be, that God wants you to be. Our first point today is we can have no condemnation because the Spirit frees us from sin through Christ's sacrifice. In his love for us, God sends hope. He approaches us, his enemies, and offers us redemption. Do you catch the weight of that promise that he gives us in the first few verses? Listen to those words again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. We can have no condemnation because the Spirit frees us from sin through Christ's sacrifice. And you may have noticed earlier when I said that every single person is born into sin. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, our She was born sinful. There has only been one exception throughout all of history of this world, of the universe, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only person in the entire history to be born sinless. And the reason that he was able to be born sinless is that he was conceived by the Spirit through Virgin Mary. Meaning that he was not born with that spiritual defect, the genetic curse of sin that is passed down through Adam's line through an earthly father. So he was born without that original sin. However, his flesh was tempted in every single way, like you and like me are, and he didn't give in to temptation. Unlike us, he did not yield to that temptation. And because he was sinless, because he didn't yield to these temptations, he was offered up as the perfect, spotless lamb who was adequate enough and righteous enough to bear the cross, to bear the cup of God's wrath for our sins. He was righteous and without sin, which made him the perfect fulfillment of the law. He met each and every one of the requirements for us so that we could be redeemed. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh anymore, but according to the Spirit. For our sins, he willingly chose to die on the cross. You know, throughout Scripture, we read countless uh, accounts of how Jesus, the Son of God on earth, is moved with compassion again and again for us wretched sinners, his enemies. Isn't that crazy? That's the grace of God. 
He wants us to be free so that we can enter into a righteous relationship with him for no other reason than his love for us. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our love. He doesn't need for us to be in a relationship with him. But he wants us. He wants our love. And he wants to be in a relationship with us. There is absolutely nothing we have that isn't from God. So how can we offer him anything in exchange that he doesn't already have? He's given it all. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you or for me if you're in Christ. Let that seep into the deepest reaches of your heart. Think of all the wrong and the despicable things you ever thought. Think of all the horrible, horrid things you've ever said. Think of the terrible things that you've done. Now know that if you are trusting in Jesus, you have been, you are, and you will be forgiven for each and every single sin that you have committed against God. You have the Spirit of God within you. And do you know what that means? That means through the Spirit of God that is in you, you meet those requirements of the law that Jesus met for you. You are therefore not condemned in Jesus, but justified by your faith in Him. Amazing grace! How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you, like me. Do you understand the gravity of your sin that has been forgiven in Christ? I hope you understand the magnitude of his grace for that. Through him alone are we able to obey the law. Now, you are no longer condemned for your sin. That means the time that you lied to your friends because you didn't want to help or hang out with them, or the time that you lusted after that good-looking man or woman in the street, or that time you lost your patience and snapped in unrighteous anger at your spouse, or even that time you murdered somebody. You are forgiven. You have been forgiven. Christ paid the price for your sin. The Spirit of Christ that is in you sanctifies you. He's the reason that even though you sin, there's forgiveness for you. Take comfort in that. God assures you. Not Paul, not me, not even Pastor Matt, but God assures you of your salvation if you are in his begotten son, Jesus Christ. Do you know the feeling of a heavy weight being on your chest or someone sitting on your chest when you're laying down and it's, it's pressing against your lungs so you're having a hard time breathing? And then do you remember the feeling as that weight is lifted and you're able to breathe in for like the first time and how refreshing that breath is. That's what it is to have your burden lifted by Christ. He removes that weight from you so you're able to breathe. You are free. There's a verse I uh, marvel at each time I hear it. 
and it's 1 Corinthians 1.18. I'm going to quote from the NIV because that's what I haven't memorized it. But uh, it's, For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now you may have caught it there, but just in case you didn't, let me explain why that verse and what is so reassuring and marvel-worthy when we read it. It doesn't say us who are saved. It says us who are being saved. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, we are constantly sinning and constantly in need of repentance. Repentance is a sign that you are truly being saved by Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you could just say, oh, I'm justified by my faith, so I can just sin as much as I want now with no consequences. There's no condemnation for me. But if you truly are being saved by Christ, you'll recognize the gravity of your sin and what an offense it is to God, and you'll come before the cross with a repentant heart. See, the beauty of the cross is that when you come in front of it with repentance before Christ, He forgives you. He saves you. So you can rest assured, if you are being saved by Christ, you are not condemned for your sins. He was condemned in your place. But as someone who is being saved, you have that Spirit of Christ within you. And the Spirit is still at work on you, sanctifying you, helping you to grow in your understanding and love for God. The Spirit convicts you and points you toward repentance. And the reason that we meet the law is because of that same Spirit that was in Christ is in us. This is why we meet those requirements if we're in Christ. Well, what does that mean for us if we do not have our trust in Jesus Christ? For any of us who are still living according to the flesh, those who are still seeking to satisfy their own desires. Verses 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's in our very nature to disobey God. And the second point, there is, however, condemnation for those who live by the flesh. There is, however, condemnation for those who live by the flesh. And living by the flesh is any number of things. Seeking approval by those around you for your benefit. Working to build a legacy or an empire so that you're remembered for the great work you've done earning money so that you can buy the most luxurious things and be comfortable, having sex outside of marriage, or ignoring the poor because they make you feel uncomfortable, 
keeping up with the latest technology because it's the, previous, the previous version is uncool or dated. Seeking to serve yourself and a whole array of other earthly things. Some of these are not bad things in and of themselves. But when it's only for you and your own desires, it's wrong. Proverbs says, in everything you do, submit to God. Meaning that everything we do in life here on this earth should be for God and His glory. All glory be to God in the highest. And Paul says later on in Romans chapter 14, verses 23, if it does not proceed from faith, it is sin. Meaning that everything you do should be done in faith to God and for His glory. If you're here as one who stands condemned, and this has just hit you in the heart, there's hope for you. Come to the cross. Put your faith in Jesus. He will accept you. Through Him, we are able to meet the requirements of the law. You can meet those requirements. I'd like everyone here to close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to have you picture a scene. So just close your eyes. And I'm going to describe this to you. Picture. There's a beggar slumped in a dirty alleyway. There's garbage and waste are strewn about everywhere. And there's makeshift shelters of cardboard and other material scattered throughout the alley. And the smell is just awful. It permeates the air. It assaults you as a mix of rotting eggs, waste, and death. And each breath you take burns your nostrils with its putrid strength. And the beggar is there. And he's covered in filthy dirty rags and refuse. And he's in a state that is so repulsive and despairing that every person that walked by the entrance to that alleyway, they cover their nose and they, they walk faster, not even sparing a glance at the miserable heap of a human left in that alley. And the, the beggar is in the lowest possible state of existence a human could be in. And their heart is just broken. It's been abused and it's immersed in hopelessness. And it cries out in anguish, how did this happen? How did I get here? I am worthless. I have been cast aside and left to die, forgotten. No one will help me. I am a wretch who will not be remembered, and my home is made in the grave. Can you see it? Can you smell it? Can you hear the anguish? You can open your eyes now. the identity of this beggar is you. 
and it's me. And it's the person beside you. And this is but a weak image of what we are in our sin. And as slaves to sin, we bathe in it daily. Oblivious as it eats away at us, we waste away. But God, Jesus, you see, he, he comes to that alleyway and he looks right into your eyes at what's left of you and he has compassion. The all-powerful God who brought the world into being and who can't stand the offense, the abomination that sin is, is moved with love for you. And he rushes forward to pull you out of that very sin which he hates. And he takes you home and he washes every inch of you by hand and he feeds you and he gives you new clean clothes and he cuts your hair and he says, oh child, won't you stay with me? My home is now your home. There's a place for you here and nothing will take you away from me, not even sin, for you are now mine and I am yours. This is the grace of God. Unbelievable. Incredible. And outrageously undeserved. You see, he takes us and he gives us new life. In Christ, we are reborn. Look at verses 9 to 11 in chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Is that not amazing? We who are born condemned, we who could do nothing to change that, who are powerless, are given new life by the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And if we have the same spirit that raised Christ, we are no longer condemned to death, but we are given new life. The third point, we can have no condemnation because the spirit who resurrected Christ gives us life. We can have no condemnation because the spirit who resurrected Christ gives us life. You see, this is the power of God. This is the mercy of God. This is the grace of God. This is the love of God. Many of you, some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about, but many of you will have heard of Mario, the famous character from the Nintendo games, okay? And in those games, Mario has a set amount of lives. 
and he loses a life each time he's defeated by any of his enemies. And if he loses all of his lives, it's game over. There's no more chances to live. However, if Mario finds a green mushroom within the game, it gives him a new life. It's a bonus life. It's a second chance. And with that new life, he can push forward and try and beat the game. It's a second chance. We are dead in our sins. You see, we're born with a game over. We don't have the first life. We're born dead in our sin. Already without a chance to even find that bonus life, that new life. But by trusting in Jesus Christ, by believing in his death and resurrection, the Spirit resurrects us. We are raised from the dead alongside Christ. We now have that new life, and with it, we are to live like Christ, and we are to share it. You see, we are to be seeking the Word and training ourselves in it. Let the Spirit work on your heart as you meditate on Scripture and spend your time in prayer. Look to God when you're in dire circumstances or tragedy has come, because He is the one in control. All things, all things work together for His glory, even when you can't see how. Trust God to do what He says He will do, because He will do it. You need to focus on doing what you've promised God that you will do, and what He commands you to do. You need to focus on doing what you've promised. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if you truly love your neighbors, the ones around you, you won't silently sit on your hands and watch as they continue to live in that dead state of sin. You'll witness to them with words, in actions, in secret, in things you do for them. It might be that you can share your beliefs at dinner with them on various topics as they come up. It could be that you are always willing to give a hand when they need help from someone, whether that's financially or moving or something. It could be as simple as listening as they pour their hearts out and then asking them if you can pray for them. And you should be praying praying for the bus driver who said good morning to you, praying for that driver that cut you off this morning and nearly killed you and your family, praying thanks for being able to breathe and wake up this morning. See, each day, each day is a blessing from God because he has given you new life so that you can enjoy it as you give glory to him and as you spread the good news of him of what God has done for you and for the world. We're on the, uh, the brink of a new year. And a lot of people view this as a second chance to fulfill or to fill their life with accomplishments. I'm going to accomplish this in the new year. I'm going to accomplish that. But what can a dead person accomplish? Now more than ever, the world needs life. They need new life. And that can only be found 
in Jesus Christ. You see, when you believe and trust in Jesus and you let him into your heart when he knocks, the Spirit of God will liberate you. It frees you. And it will work to continually change your heart and grow you in your trust and in your faith in God. Are you liberated? Or have you been condemned? Do you seek after God? Or do you pursue things of the flesh? If you confess with your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you truly believe in Jesus, the Son of God, you will be given new life. Lord, we uh, thank you for this day, Lord. It is the day that you have made. Uh, we ask that you would go with us as we go out today, Lord, and be with those who you've touched their hearts, Lord, and lead them where you would, Lord, into repentance, and that they might recognize you as their sovereign Savior, Lord, and that you would just guide them, Lord, and build them up. And be with those, Lord, who are struggling, Lord. I pray that you would bless and keep them, Lord, and help them to keep their eyes turned to you, Lord. We thank you for your mercies in Jesus' name. Amen.
you will have made or will be making New Year's resolutions for 2018, and it's pretty easy for us to say that this year I'm going to stick to it. This year will be different. Uh, it's a new year, which for a lot of us means a fresh start. But things often don't go as we planned, as you've experienced previous years when you did not do any of your New Year's resolutions. Uh, but in Christ, we do have new life. And today, I want to encourage you with this passage from Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 23. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Happy New Year.